HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My co-host, Southern Teague, is out of the studio today. He's being interviewed on CNN, I think, right now. Um, so, uh, uh, actually, about his new bar that we've talked about a few times on the show, Koo, um, which is his charity bar in uh, East Village? Something? Yeah, I would call Keep it Cooper that. Square. I would like, call it that. Yeah. NYU East Village-ish. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, uh, congrats to him. That's great. Um, and uh, in the studio today, I've got my buddy Matt Friedlander from Sweetwater Social. He's uh, the GM over there, general manager. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about... All of it. All man. of it. Just everything. <laughs> What's been going on the last 15 years yeah, of, man. of life? <laughs> yeah, so I, we, we, I think we first met. Where did we meet? Like, I think we first met holiday? when you were at Prime Meats, and I rolled in there, uh, had had one quick cocktail, and then I had to go. But then we sort of just re-met at Holiday. Yeah, yeah. Because right. all roads lead. All roads lead to Holiday. <laughs> to and never out. Um, <laughs> that is yeah. very true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, met there, and uh, you know, it's a, it's definitely the, uh, the bar that I tell my wife that you know it's on the way home. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's literally on the way home from work. So it makes sense for me to swing by there and make sure that they're still open. Yeah, exactly. You know, and doing all that stuff, everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, everyone's singing Aerosmith appropriately and <laughs> hitting all the thirds correctly and all that. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So. Uh, You've been over at Sweetwater now. It's uh, Justin Noel and Tim Cooper's place. Yeah, that opened like what was it like three? They opened four, four years, years ago. ago. Yeah, um, I t- I came on board uh, end of October, so a little over six months now. Um, I was previously uh, doing the head bartender thing at Fool's Gold mm-hmm. for about three years, which was great. Um, learned a lot about craft beer. Learned a lot, or relearned a lot about bartending and 
super high volume. Yeah. Um, working, working point every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night was, you know, elbows and shoulders. And then there was a non-existent Sunday. You just like <laughs> slept all the way to Monday. Exactly. That's, that's actually exactly how it worked. Um, yeah, I, I know I've been doing that at, <laughs> or at Grand Army for the last year and now, now I'm off Saturdays. Oh, you finally <laughs> got there. Yeah. You got there. Um, but it was, I actually had never been to Sweetwater Social before. I'd, I'd heard of it because I knew a couple people that worked there. Like I knew Dane Neff did a couple of shifts there and uh, Flynn Pomeroy, mm-hmm. who I'm friendly with, did some shifts there. Uh, but uh, we had a, a USBG meeting there that was, um, I believe it was sponsored by Espelon. Um, and that was the first time that I met Justin Noel and looked at the space. And I was there with uh, my very dear buddy, Pineapple, who mm-hmm. tends to know me sometimes better than I know myself. And he looked around and he went, you should work here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a, you know, a good gig and, you know, I'm happy bartending where I'm bartending. Um, and then uh, word got out that they uh, needed a general manager. And I managed uh, a couple of bars before Fool's Goal. I managed Counting Room over, oh, yeah. uh, over here or that side. Of Brooklyn, and before that, uh, a bar called Lolita that had been Lower East Side for a while. It's now mm-hmm. called RPM, and um, always enjoyed you know the different challenges of of managing a space versus just bartending it. And so I sat down with uh, with Justin and Tim and um, and our other owner Sean over the course of about let's say like maybe a week or a week and a half, and they decided that. Uh, my hair was just crazy enough, and that I had <laughs> had the skill set. And they're like, "Let's let's take a chance," and it's been going really, really well. Um, cool, man. You know, I've uh, got a great team of bartenders and barbacks and servers behind me, and uh, the owners have been incredibly supportive. And you know, for I'd say, you know, the first month there was a lot of you know the learning curve, and this is how we do things. And then after that, it was basically just you take the keys, this is yours, run with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been a very, very, very incredible learning experience. Um, definitely exhausting and, you know, a lot of hours. Well, but the place is huge. It is a very, very large so place. Like, and I, like, <laughs> you're talking about, like, managing this giant space in, in NoHo in Manhattan. It's like, I, like, like I'm, I'm having, like, a panic attack even thinking about it. Like, how do you, like... I mean, well, of course, like you've been bartending for a long time, so you right. understand like multitasking and like kind of having your eyes on everything. So right. I, that definitely has to be a big part of it. That right? translates into everything. Yeah, you know, it's um, you 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 try to uh, plan for. I mean, I'm incredibly OCD as it is anyway. Um, so when it comes to just looking at the parties we have coming in for that night, I mean, I I print out these ridiculously detailed one sheets that my bar team probably hates to read um, <laughs> for anyone who's listening right now they're they're gonna keep coming uh, but um, you know and it's basically just knowing um, you know what what your next 10 moves are gonna be um, the same way it is behind the bar you know like it, instead of going I've got to check on this couple and make sure that they aren't fighting I gotta refill this guy's water this girl needs another drink it's got to be like all right I gotta clear this table because this party's rolling in I gotta check on my doorman upstairs make sure the bathrooms are all set to go and just applying that multitasking ridiculously organizational mindset um, into a sort of like a more macro sense I guess mm-hmm. um, all the while trying really hard not to just you know do laybacks of rye. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because that's always an easy way to alleviate stress, but it doesn't, it's not always conducive to proper service. Yeah. Um, 
You know, and again, we at this point don't really have a a head bartender. Um, I've sort of taken on the beverage program as far as the cocktails and the beer. I mean, I still run everything by Justin and Tim. Um, But, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, It's a lot of hours. Um, But it's also incredibly fulfilling just, you know, on the end of those those weekends where you get to look at the numbers and look at what your bar team made and go – we fucking killed that. So yeah. that was amazing. This past weekend we had, you know, the one, two punch of Cinco de Mayo and then the Kentucky Derby yeah, the next day. Sure. So those were, those were a long couple of days. Um, and by the time that we sat down to do the money Saturday night into Sunday morning, at like three or four in the morning and everyone's just sort of collapsing and cracking shift drinks. And, but you look at what you did and it's, it's really, really fulfilling. And, you know, again, like the, the team that I've got there is, just, I mean, they're they're monsters. They're animals. They're they're fast. They're personable. Um, you know, our guests tend to rave about the service that they get there, and uh, they also know their flavors. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's really there's a lot of synergy there, um, which I'm very very thankful for. It makes my job a lot easier. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, like, just the two things that like impress me about the space is like it's it's a gigantic cocktail. Uh, focus spot in New York City. Right. Typically, you, those things don't go together. Like you don't see those two things at the same right. time. Like it's either a cocktail bar or it's like a bigger spot. But like the owners, Justin and Tim, those guys come from like like club yeah, high exactly. volume backgrounds, very high you know? volume. Yeah. And so, but then they that transitioned into like the cocktail world, and uh, so I mean, yeah, if they're if they've already got the speed, and then they start like. Maybe I add a couple more steps and then can still knock it out faster. Than sure, you. it's <laughs> it's. And I, I don't know how they. I don't know how it's done. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of it again is, you know, for instance, when we do do um, when we do a menu flip, mm-hmm. um, I definitely we did one recently. I think it was uh, beginning of April, end of March. Um, you know, I try and get staff's input, but I also try to think about, okay, well, we're going to need to move these when we've got, you know, upwards of 200 people in this bar. Um, So the organization behind the bar is key. Um, I'm also a really big fan, and this probably comes from working in the restaurants I worked in, of a very less is more (laughs) kind of approach to cocktails. Um, I used to watch, you know, chefs before I was watching bartenders. Mm -hmm. And this chef that I worked for for a very long time when I was at Apiary, uh, Scott Bryan, his whole thing was you never put more than two good ideas on a plate. Um, three maybe, but the the whole idea behind it is if you season everything perfectly and you execute the cookery perfectly, you don't need more than two really good ideas, like two like really aha kind of things on a plate. Right. So I try to think about that when I'm putting cocktails together. I also think about all right, how many bottles we have to pick up. What are we going to do? You know, um, if someone you know orders one of these, takes back to the table and comes back and goes, I want ten more. Can we bang those out in under a minute, two minutes? Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, on that on that note, do you guys batch? Uh, you know, they do when I'm not around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I uh, I recently um, we have this cocktail on that I'm a really really big uh, fan of. It's something that I've sort of carried with me for the last couple of bars I've been in. And it's just a a split base of gin and strega with uh, fresh cucumber juice and lime and honey. And uh, it's uh, I walked in to the bar a couple weeks ago and I was looking for the aviation gin which we use for it and I was like where's the aviation in the well and they're like oh it's it's over here and it was way out of reach of where you're usually standing at point mm-hmm. 
And I was like, well, how are you guys building your, it's, it's called a hashtag, holy fuck. I was like, how are you guys building your hashtags? <laughs> <laughs> how are you building your hashtags? And, and they sort of sheepishly pulled up this, you know, old uh, A6 Co. bottle <laughs> that was just sort of slightly yellowish. And like, so we just mixed the strig and the gin together. And I was just like, <sighs> okay, well, on a Friday and Saturday, we can do that. Um, you know, I think that batching um, definitely makes things easier. I don't think that we are... We definitely have, you know, a focus on cocktails. Um, I think of us more as a, a neighborhood bar mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, specifically for that neighborhood. Um, so, sure. you know, we've got great cocktails. We've got great beers. We've got the foosball and the shuffleboard. We'll put, you know, we'll put the NCAA Final Four on, but we'll also put black and white movies on, on the TVs. Yeah. And uh, for me, at the end of the day, it's really just about the service. So I don't feel that in our environment that batching takes a lot away from what we're trying to execute vision wise. Totally. I mean, yeah. and especially going back, you know, you it's like it's a pretty high volume place, you know, it when is. it's when it's rocking, you know, and yeah. especially I mean, like you guys are no ho so you must get a lot uh, I mean you've got a lot of like Soho shoppers and yes. like people who work Definitely. down there like when they're getting off work, your happy hours are like Though that's insane, right? yeah, absolutely. During the week, especially, I mean, a happy hour I say is probably our our busiest time. Um, there's a lot of business from the uh, you know the local businesses and the offices are around there. Sure. A lot of uh, NYU grad students um, rolling in, um, and yeah, and a lot of the shopping crowd. A lot of people who've just sort of heard um, about you know who we are and what we do, sort of thing. Right on. Um, but yeah, it definitely gets it, it gets cranking in there. Cool. Um, but oh, it sounds like we have a phone call. What? Hey guys. You do have a phone call. It's me. Oh, oh hey, Souther. What's up, Souther? <laughs> um, hey, I'm sorry I couldn't be there today, Matt. I really wanted to hang out with you in the studio. I'm right in the middle of this interview with CNN, uh, which is pretty important for what we're doing over here at the bar. I completely understand, but you're going to be so upset when you find out what I brought for Damon and I to taste today. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jesus. I'm already upset. Um <laughs> But uh, I did want to chime in. I know, uh, I hope anyway that you brought your guitar and you guys are going to play a tune. Um, and, and you and I had talked before about, um, you said that there are a lot of similarities to being, uh, to being a musician and being a bartender. And I'm just, I want to, I want to make sure that you guys touch on that on this episode. Oh yeah, man. Oh, We're, sure. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we got time. All right. I'll need to be back um, work until five. <laughs> all right. I got to get back inside, but I just right. wanted to say hello, Matt. I'm really sorry I'm not there. No, Southern, congrats, dude. That's yeah, incredible. Man, and uh, go kill it. Yeah. Thanks for calling, man. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Be good. Right. Cheers. Yeah. I'm so glad that wasn't like my mom. That, <laughs> oh man, my mom's called the show before. I've heard. I think I heard the episode where she, it was your 200th episode. I think she she called on my birthday once, and then she called on the 200th episode. Yeah, and she I think she had a script. It sounded like she had it scripted out. Like <laughs> it was very sweet. Was very uh, thanks, sweet. mom. Yeah, and thanks, Souther. Yeah, it's really cool. They called in. Yeah. Um. Actually, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. It was like we're. Uh, Talking about like while we're setting this up a few weeks back, um, you and I have a similar path um, where uh, like it's it's the uh, the like artist's path you know <laughs> that leads you into the service industry. Right. I remember like uh, when I was in such a rare path to, to chase. So know? it's very unique. Yeah, we're kind of outlaws. That no way. one does this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that. Like uh, I was living in Oklahoma City when I first started bartending and. Uh, I was actually working in a guitar shop across the street from my buddy's bar, and uh, I'd always been like an enthusiast, and like I, but I didn't. The thought of bartending had never crossed my mind sure. like, professionally. I'd always like make cocktails at home, and I was like, kind of, I was a, I was kind of a nerd about it, like 
and then I, it, I had that aha moment like where I was like, oh, shit, maybe I should bartend. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I started doing it, and I just I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't done it earlier yeah, than that. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I would, I would work at this guitar shop when my band was uh, not playing, you know, out on the road. And, and then I would transition to the bar, and it made it really easy to be <laughs> on the road. Of course. Uh, and our drummer at the time worked at the same bar one of the bars i worked at so that made it a little bit harder yeah, to like get say, off the getting shift coverage must have been yeah. a little more difficult but yeah but um but yeah i mean it was uh it was a a, a net yeah a pretty natural transition so yeah. uh, tell me about yours um so yeah i uh i grew up in miami and i moved uh to new york uh back in 99 um just to go to nyu i was gonna be a lawyer uh, um, and uh, in Miami, I'd had a little bit of restaurant experience at a at a, a chain that I won't mention, but it involves singing and wearing bow ties and uh, soda jerk caps. And I'm sure you guys can see where I'm going with nice. this, <laughs> um, you know, but it was, you know, it was uh, also while waiting tables at, at Johnny Rockets. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, there was like a performance aspect to it, which I kind of dug. Um, it was cheesy and very exploitative, but, you know, it was fun. Um, and when I got up here and was going to NYU, was you know immediately shocked by the cost of living up here, um, and uh, needed to find work. And all I really knew how to do was wait tables. So I um, I started off in restaurants serving. Um, I was concurrently working at uh, Lake Hole, which is the restaurant for the French Culinary Institute, mm. and also at a place called Blue Smoke, which is Danny Meyer's barbecue place. Right. And you know was serving there. You know, Blue Smoke obviously was a lot more casual back then. We were wearing T-shirts and jeans, leather aprons. The food was, you know, accessible, really, really delicious barbecue. Um, but, you know, with this still Danny Meyer pervasive sense of, like, warmth and hospitality and professionalism, Lake Hole, on the other hand, was very much, a, you know, the button-down shirt and the tie. And you, you interlock your thumbs behind your back and you adjust the tables and, you know, serve from the left, clear from the right um, kind of thing. And I knew how to do it. And I was making money while, you know, my band was sort of coming together. Um, the band got together around, I would say, my junior year at NYU. Um, around the time that, you know, the early aughts where everything in New York was sort of happening. Like, oh, yeah. we were hanging out with... Strokes. Yeah, you know, like, they black were... Black and white bar. Yeah, they were... Yeah, black and white bar and Motor City and Luna Lounge when oh, it was Motor on City. Ludlow. Rest, oh, in rest in peace, Motor City. I love that bar. Yeah. And then, yeah, hanging out at, like, Brownies and the Dark Room and... Watching Interpol do their thing. I mean, you know, we, we were all sort of mishmashed together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but there was, you know, a lot of, you know, late nights um, that sort of contributed to it. And, uh, but there was this really great, you know, obviously performance aspect of being in a band and being on stage and having people, you know, especially like in the Lower East Side and the East Village. And at those times, if you, it sounded like if you, if you picked up a guitar and you were in a band, you were going to get signed to RCA in, sure. in a year. You know, it was like like what happened in Seattle in the early nineties. Exactly. Like they just if if you just happened to be there and yeah. have a band, you were signed. It was you know I mean yeah yeah's did it, Longwave did it, Stellastar did it, Realistics did it, Strokes, Interpol, The Rapture. I mean it was it was huge. a crazy time. It was a early crazy time in New York City, and like and also like there was it's kind of. It does line up with like the cocktail renaissance in New York City. That's, That's the, when like milk and honey started, exactly, and, and all the stuff. So, um, so I was, you know, I was waiting tables, um, you know, during day and like during weeknights, 
and weekend nights. And then whenever I wasn't doing that, I was in this band and going out and rehearsing, you know, two or three times a week and playing shows whenever we could. And then hanging out at the bars that, you know, we were sort of told that we should hang out at um, (laughs) and indulging in things that we were told we should indulge in, which, you know, wasn't necessarily a good thing. Um, But the performance aspect that I really dug about the band, you know, wasn't really translating into what I was doing in the restaurants. And I started watching um, the bartenders in the restaurants I was working in and noticed that they had a little more leeway in terms of how formal they could be. They were a little... They could lean across the bar. They could engage guests in more conversation. They could laugh a little louder. They could snap their fingers a little harder. Um, one of the more formal restaurants I worked in at that time was uh, Moss Farmhouse, and the bartender behind the bar at that point was T.J. Lynch. Um, and he had his his hair, and yeah. <laughs> you know, but he still had you know the vest and the shirt and the tie. But he was just a, an amazing you know force behind that bar, and people would come into this incredible restaurant where the food was just extraordinary and they'd come in just to sit at the bar and talk with him. And I was like, that's what I want to be. Like, I want to be that guy, like the, the sort of rock star of the restaurant. So, um, while my band was still, you know, coming up, I started asking around, like, if I really want to learn how to bartend, like who should I go talk to? And there's this list of like 20 or 30 names that I had. And, it was people who I'm sure you can imagine, like Sasha and Joaquin Simo and Julie Reiner and Audrey Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and visited all their bars and spent a lot of time with Sasha and Milk and Honey, basically just camped there uh, for a month. And just he was gracious enough to let me just watch him and occasionally let me get behind the bar and go, this is how I do this, this is how I do this. And every night would say, all right, now make me this drink. And I would make it. And he would say, that's garbage. And, and, <laughs> and you know, keep improving on that. Um, and learned a lot from there. Meanwhile, the band is coming up. It seems like we're getting better and better and better. But I'm developing this passion for this idea of, of being, you know, sort of like a rock star behind the bar. Um, and that led me to track down people who, you know, were also really, really incredible what they did. But I felt had more in line with my personality and my style of service. So I was immediately drawn to, you know, people like TJ Lynch and Giuseppe and Toby Maloney. Uh, people who had their very much their own style behind the bar and weren't as formal. I don't want to maybe not say as formal, but they, in my eyes, they seemed like they were enjoying things a lot right. more. It was um, more it, it, yeah, help they, me out they, here because I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna piss some people off. <laughs> they're very enthusiastic about the, what they're doing, so exactly. they, could, they were allowed to have fun with it. But right. also, like with enthusiasm comes, you know the actual respect and like appreciation for the craft and the hospitality of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, the band hit a sort of pinnacle back in 2007, um, where we did the biggest tour we were going to do. And we opened for the biggest bands we were going to open for. We had sort of side gig opening slots with stone temple pilots when they first got back together. Um, and black rebel motorcycle club. Uh, but it was definitely something where, you know, that was sort of, I think we'd hit our pinnacle. We weren't as incredible songwriters as we made ourselves out to be. Um, and we weren't going to be the next Strokes or the next Interpol or the next Oasis, which we all wanted to be. Uh, and I developed this really strong passion for for doing this. You know, I'd, I've, you know, gone in, you know, from, I guess, six years thinking that this is just a way for me to, you know, make money and pay rent and have money to go out to... You know, learning about food and wine pairings and learning about cocktails and learning about spirits and getting really, really into the creativity behind it and also the, you know, the the day to day of it, which was 
Well, it sounds to me like, you know, a lot of times when people get into the service industry, when they have their, the thing that they want to do, and then they're in this, they're in the service industry because it's like, that's what pays the bills. Right. Um, and they just end, kind of end up in the industry and then their art goes away. Um, and that's usually like a sad story, but like, it sounds to me like it's quite the opposite. It's like through, through this, you found this thing that you can have a career in. Oh, absolutely. It's also artistic. Oh, definitely. And, and also you get to go on like free trips to places. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, get it's, hooked it's, up at restaurants it's, it's very much a lot like being in a band, except, you know, if my band was bigger, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's something to be said about, you know, someone going, you submit this cocktail and it's great. We're going to fly to Chicago and put you up in this amazing hotel right off the lake for the weekend. Or, yeah. you know, we're going to fly you down to tails, you know, on us for, you know, the entire week, or you can go to Europe or you can go to Iceland, awesome. like all these things, yeah. you know, I never went to Iceland when I was in my band and it was, you know, it's, and also something that, you know, definitely while being in the band, you know, it was definitely creatively fulfilling and, and definitely a lot of fun, a lot of exciting. There's something, about the New York City music scene back then where there was a lot of sort of, you know, it, I'll put it this way. What, what happens, I think, in the New York City bartending community and what was happening in the New York City band scene are polar opposites in the sense that when there's a new bartender or a new bar or a new, you know, event or thing happening or something for charity or something with USBG, everyone seems to sort of come together for it and we all... Rally, excuse me, rally and support that. If a new band comes and sells out, you know, their residency at Arlene's Grocery in 2001, and all of a sudden they're signed to Island Records, everyone just hated them. Yeah. You know, it was <laughs> that's, like, that's... It was like, oh, dude, like your band, you know, you guys are terrible, and like you came out of nowhere, and like who the hell are you, and blah, yeah. blah. And, you know, I, this, I think this that. This community is very much supportive, and, and it really like you is. said before, there's a synergy to it, and it's, it's great. It's very, it's. It's the best industry, I think, to be in. I absolutely agree. You know, and, yeah, uh, definitely. So let's. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? Yeah, and uh, you got this this weird bottle in front of us. Oh uh, yeah, let's try that out. <laughs> We're gonna and try it. Uh, maybe pick up some guitars since we've been talking about music. We could do that. I think we can do that. We got a couple in the studio, so let's let's jam them out. All right, cool. <laughs> Back in just a moment with Matt Friedling. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. 
Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we've got our buddy Matt Freelander from Sweetwater Social in New York City. Uh, we've been talking about the the entry into the biz yeah. and uh, and what kind of spurred that. And uh, uh, talking about like being musicians in, in New York <laughs> and, and making it happen. Um, totally. I, You know, what you were saying before, like how... There is a performance, like when you're behind the bar, and I always consider the bar to be the stage. Definitely. And that being said, it's like that means people are always watching you for always. better or worse. Exactly. You know? like, so you know you gotta, I, I you know I'll get flustered, I'll get in the weeds and stuff, and like and I feel like I feel like I broke a string on my guitar. Exactly. You know? I was gonna and, say breaking a string is the the best analogy I can come yeah. up with because you can still play the guitar. You can. It's gonna be a little out of tune. It's you're gonna, gonna be a little out of tune, one. and you're gonna constantly be thinking that string isn't there. That string isn't there. Until, until isn't you there. get to the end of the song, you know. Right. Uh, something that God, I wish I could remember exactly who it was, but when I was doing my whole you know, track down all the senseis in New York City and listen to them. Um, so I want to say this was Joaquin Simo, but uh, someone said to me, you got to remember that it's not, you know, do you cut the red wire? Or do you cut the blue wire? And if you cut the wrong wire, the building blows up. It's like, it's just cocktails. And, yeah. you know, as long as you're having fun and as long as, you know, the guest is enjoying themselves at the end of the day, that's... And, and they don't die. And they don't die. <laughs> and the, and the bar record. doesn't explode. Yeah. Uh, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, there's definitely been moments when I've gotten flustered behind the bar, and I see it when my bar to get slammed on Friday and Saturdays, you know, and my bartenders are in the shit. And, you know, it's always just, just pull them aside and go, just listen, take five seconds, take a breath. You know, this is... The customers will still be there. They'll, they'll still be in there. In ten seconds. They'll still be there. And, you know, it's... It, there's, you know, play play a little play a little air guitar behind the bar. You know, do a little percussion on, on the back <laughs> bar. You know, do something to buy yourself two seconds where you can just take the breath. Um because you are always on stage and yeah. people are always looking at you. But if you're, if I'm having fun on stage, like I could break every string on there and you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's totally. still, it's still the show. Smash and the still, guitar. Yeah. Smash the guitar. <laughs> well, I always, I, it's something I do at the bar. Actually, it's funny you say that. I mean, like I always, when I, cause I always work at point. Right. So the other two bartenders are kind of like they're at the very least at my side or on my back, you know, so sure. like I don't get to see everything. But then as soon as I hear like a couple of glasses break or like three oh, God, and like within like a minute <laughs> yeah. or like a whole fucking tray breaks or something, <laughs> um, I turn around like I'm just like, oh, my God. All right. Yeah. Everyone just stop. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> stop what you're doing. Let's just stop. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes it involves a quick little cheeky. So I'm like, hey, don't think about all these people. For, yeah. For like 10 seconds. Clink. Something we right, do. Shake uh, it off. Yeah, exactly. Get back in there. Exactly. Do a little clink or something that I like to do. Because you are a band. You are. You're, ex- ex- that's the whole thing. Like everyone, that team back there. Like we're all we're all on the stage together. Um, something that I like like to do, and I think the staff likes it on Friday and Saturday nights when we're at that three, four, five deep, you know, sort of echelon where shit's just going to go wrong. I'll just stop the music for five seconds and just jump onto a really tall bar stool. And just scream three, two, one, daiquiri, and turn the music back on, and everything just stops behind that bar. And the only thing that 
the two or three bartenders behind that bar are doing at that point is making a daiquiri. Um, That's great. <laughs> and they, you know, like, and, and for whatever reason, um, and God bless them, you know, the, the guests in the audience have never been like, where's my fucking drink? Blah, blah. They're yeah. just like, whoa, what's going on? This is so cool. Because, you know, all of a sudden they're moving really fast and there's this intensity to it. And they just heard me yell. And the next thing you know, I've got three daiquiris in front of me. So I'm happy um, <laughs> because I get to taste three daiquiris. And, you know, and, and it also gives the staff just, you know, again, like even like making a daiquiri to me is a way to shut things down for, yeah. you know, 10 to 30 seconds and just go, I'm just going to, you know, do this thing that I've done a hundred thousand times before, right. but I'm going to do it and have a lot of fun with it. You know, a lot of it, again, it's just having that communication like you yeah. do when you're on stage, you know, like looking over at the bass player and going, I'm going to, I'm going to try this right now. Like, you just back me up or do this. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, you're all in it together. And if one person's falling, then it's going to affect everyone. So you got to keep that vibe and that energy and that momentum up. Totally, man. Yeah. Speaking of trying things, let's, uh, yeah. let's try this tomorrow so, that's in front of us. Tell me about it. So this is uh, my buddy Carter Wilsford uh, brought uh, brought this into the bar a couple of weeks ago, I want to say. He's calling it Amaro per Amore. And he... Uh, I'm not sure if he made it in his house or in a friend's house. Here, let me yeah, fill you up a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the just by oh nice yeah I should have done it that way. <laughs> Need fully behind me. Um, <laughs> but the uh, just behind it is uh, that I, I think he said there were 27 or 28 uh, botanicals or and herbs and additives to it, and only one of them wasn't an aphrodisiac. Was so, not. Was not. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a it's a maro per amore Is that like and uh, goji berry and fucking <laughs> I mean chocolate? There, there's like oysters and you know <laughs> like you pulverized oyster shells and filter it through um, no I definitely get a lot of chocolate cinnamon um, clove God, I'm trying to remember what else he was, he put in it but you know he's a uh, he, he did like a quick run I think of about you know, I want to say ten bottles of it um, and it's delicious to the point Ooh. where I've just sort of been hiding in the office, and uh, yeah, yeah, cheers, man. Clink. <laughs> and yeah, the base is a uh, plantation overproof rum. That yeah, that makes the difference in it because it's really like the the actual like mouthfeel of it is like if it didn't have that roundness from that that. Rum, the It'd be rum. kind of astringent, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Be like maybe like a little tannic, even without exactly, it, you know? exactly. Um, but yeah, this is really good. I've just been hiding it in the office, and then when some uh, someone who's nerdy like me or like us comes in, I go, "Do you want to try something?" And and just bring the <laughs> bottle up and like pour them like a little one ounce. Like you take that and then put it back down in the office. But it's really really good. Um, so he's I think going to make some more. And uh, he's also working on making some moonshine as well, which I can't wait to try that. Um, but he's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, huge teddy bear of a bartender. He works over at Analog. Uh, yeah. Definitely go see Carter Wilford. And, yeah, thanks, Carter, for the uh, Yeah, thanks for the, for the hooch. Yeah, man. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Souther. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I actually think... This is like right up his alley. This is totally... I mean, which well, is why I was like, all right, I, I know exactly what I'm bringing to the show when I come in next Wednesday. And then I heard about CNN game. It was like, oh, well, Damon and I'll More for it. us. Yeah, Damon and I'll drink it. No problem at all. Heck yeah, man. Mm. Well, um, that's... I think... Man, that kind of loosened up the pipes. Yeah. I'm... 
I'm feeling good. <laughs> you want to you do a song Let's now? Let's do a song, man. Like, why not? We, we talked about a few songs before the show. I think uh, one that makes a lot of sense is... Uh, you, do you want to do uh, Sin City? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially cool. given, you know, talking about New York bands and indulgent times and debauchery right. and how it all... Yeah. Yeah, that definitely works. Right, cool, man. Let me make sure. Is that in D? Uh, I believe so. Ooh, that sounds... Are you going high or am I going high? Who's going high? Who's going low on this? Um, just, I think just given the, the general timbre of our voices, I guess I should go. You low. should go low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's close enough for radio. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, let's do this. One, two, three. One, two. Gold-plated 
door We'll keep out the Lord's burning rain One more time Yeah On the thirty-first floor Lord's burning in rain. It's been a while. <laughs> Dude, that for being the first time we ever played that <laughs> yeah. together. Harmonies were on. It's gotta <laughs> Yeah, we'll just we'll just uh we'll, just do acapella we'll clean it up on. and post. <laughs> Awesome, man. That was awesome, dude. Yeah, that was shit, man. We should we, we should, should actually do, do that. Do that more often, yeah. <laughs> Not just at holiday when I don't want to miss a thing comes on. Like it's <laughs> well, dude, uh, thanks a lot for coming in the studio today. Thanks for bringing this awesome mystery Clayton Amaro. Or, <laughs> like, what's, what was the name of it again? Uh, Amaro per Amore. Ooh. Amaro, oh, for, Amaro love. for love. Yeah. Oh, provocative. Also kind of a very Southern Teague, Amore Amargo kind of thing. Yeah. For sure. Huh. Well, dude, it's been great. You guys should go and uh, check out Matt and the, the crew over at Sweetwater Social. And uh, also, let's see. What's going on next week? Next week. Hmm. I actually think you've got um, a couple of my really good buddies coming in next week. Oh, yeah. We do. Actually, um, our friends Austin Henley and Julie Renee Williams will be in town. They're, they've been out in Costa Rica for a while running some bars out there and... They escaped New York. Man. <laughs> <laughs> they made it left all that sunshine and beach and goodness to yeah. come here. Come here for some reason. Uh, <laughs> they well, they come talk to you. They want to come. Yeah, back to totally, you. man. Well, it's gonna be good to see them. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so can't wait for that next week. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the end of the show. Let's get one last clinking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So cheers to you, Matt. And cheers, uh, Damon. Thanks for having me, yeah. Clink. Um, so again, uh, thank you for listening to the Speakeasy and check out many other programs on Heritage Radio Network, just like this one, except probably a little less music. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers, man. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.